Our gospel lesson this morning comes from the Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. It's not that you read the verse. Sorry about that. Okay. That was from last week. Sorry. 18, verses 18 to 30. I thought that looked weird. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad, because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Then who can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and the age to come eternal life. This is the gospel of the Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. There are no atheists in foxholes. You've maybe heard this phrase before. What it means is that when you, you may not believe that there's a God when you enter into the military. You may not believe that there's a God when you enter into a battle. But as soon as the bullets start flying past your head, as soon as the world begins to explode all around you, as soon as the only thing that's keeping you alive is a tiny little hole in the ground, God and the afterlife become incredibly more important than if you were not in the middle of a battle. There are no atheists in foxholes. And the same can be true about our lives, can't it? Maybe there's no bullets flying past our head, but when good times all around and everything's going great, God seems to be a little bit more distant, and we don't talk to him as much. But as soon as the bad times come, well then, the afterlife and our relationship with God come to the forefront of our mind. It's almost all that we can think about. That's what makes our gospel lesson for this morning incredibly Interesting, because usually we go to God in the bad times, but this rich young ruler goes to God in the good times. His friends were all talking to him and saying, you're fine, after all, you're rich, you're powerful, God is blessing you so much, you must be a good enough person to have earned God's favor. But the rich young ruler knew that there was something wrong between him and God, knew that something was so wrong that he was willing to take a risk. He was willing to go to Jesus and ask him the question, the age-old question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to be right with God? And Jesus gives him the age-old answer. You know the commandments. You know what God demands. God demands holiness, perfection, and no sin. And for those who sin once, they no longer are holy and perfect. 
You know the commandments. As soon as the rich young ruler heard the words, you know the commandments, he pulled out his mental checklist, what he's done so many times before, and he follows along with what Jesus says. Do not commit adultery. Check. Do not murder. Check. Do not steal. Check. Do not give false testimony. Check. Honor your father and mother. Check. He looks back up at Jesus, puts away his mental checklist, and says, All these I kept. Had he? Could he? Was Jesus' point for him to look at the commandments and see if he kept them all? No. What Jesus' point was, was he wanted him to look at the commandments and realize he hadn't kept them all to realize that the question that he was asking was the wrong question. What can I do to inherit eternal life? What can I do to make myself right with God? That's the wrong question. But it's the question that every religion in the world loves to ask, except Christianity. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What ladder do I have to climb? What steps do I have to take to reach God? The world says, do this and do that. Don't do this and don't do that. But the irony is that it says do, but it's never done. Being a good person doesn't have a finish line. Even if you were to take yourself out of society and go live up on a mountain by yourself with no distractions and no temptations, you'd slowly realize that being on the mountain by yourself doesn't make you a good person. And you're still a bad person, but now you're just a lonely bad person. There's nothing that you can do that will get you closer to God. And that's why you're here. Because you didn't ask the question that the rich young ruler asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? No, you asked the question that the disciples asked. Lord, who can be saved? Be saved. No doing, believing, trusting in a Savior. In response to this question, the right question, Jesus says, with man, this is impossible. But not with God. With God, all things are possible. If you think back to the first sin, to the Garden of Eden all those years ago, Moments after the first two bites of the forbidden fruit, moments after the serpent's gloating hiss, Satan's laughter was cut short by God himself when he promised a solution to that sin, when he promised a savior. Fast forward to Luke 18, and we see that savior. He is the one who had whose feet the rich man fell at. He's the one the disciples followed, and he's the one who speaks and we listen to and we believe. He is that Jesus who saves us because we know what God demands. We know that the expectation is perfection. And Jesus knew this too. And that's why he came down to this earth to live the perfect life that we could never live, to give God the life of perfection that he demanded. 
And Jesus also knew that the wages of sin was death. And that any sinner was destined for hell because they had broken God's expectations. So Jesus became sin. Even though he never knew sin. So that we might be God's righteousness. We call it the great exchange. The great trade. And what a trade it is. We give Jesus our sin. And he gives us his perfection. So he calls out to you and says, follow me. I promise you. I promise you salvation. And that promise of salvation is not only for us, but it was also for that rich young ruler. After he got done with his checklist, he looks up at Jesus and expects approval. Expects, yes, you've done everything. Congratulations. But that's not what he gets. Jesus says, okay, you've kept them all. You lack one thing. Take everything you have, sell it, and then give it to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Jesus' problem wasn't with the fact that the rich man had money. No, wealth and money and possessions, they're all gifts from God. If you look back at the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs and founders of Israel, they were some of the richest guys you can ever imagine. And never once did God tell them to go sell everything that they had and give to the poor. That wasn't Jesus' point. The reason why Jesus told the rich man to sell everything was because he had put his possessions and his money and his job and his status in society above God. Jesus was telling to him, you got to give up the one thing that's keeping you from God because the rich young ruler knew that his relationship wasn't right, but he thought it was something that he was doing. He didn't realize that his biggest problem wasn't with commandment 6 or 5 or 7 or 8 or 4. He didn't realize that his biggest problem was with commandment number 1. You shall have no other gods. So Jesus holds out two options. God or money. And the rich young ruler went away sad because he had great wealth. He chose money because he looked at his situation and he looked at what Jesus was offering him and he preferred what he had. Because Jesus was doing something incredible by saying, sell everything you have. He was not only asking the man to give up all the money in the coin bag that he had at his side. No, if he gave up his money, he had to give up his position as ruler, because you can't be a ruler without money. And if you were to give up being a ruler, that would give up your status in society. So he'd become just as poor as all of the beggars he was giving the money to. Jesus was calling this man, if he was going to follow him, he had to have a very radical Faith, a very confident faith that God could provide for him not only for his spiritual needs, but also for his physical needs. And as soon as the rich young ruler heard that, he decided that Jesus was a loss. There may be times in our lives, too, when Jesus seems like a loss. After all, 
giving up part of your Sunday means it's one less day of pay for those who want to work or one less day of play for those who want to relax. And for the students, I mean, it starts when you're young. Following Jesus publicly might lead you to be teased, to be the dirty two-shoes or the buzzkill. It might lead you to be separated from the big group, to be put under a lot of social peer pressure, to say no and do the right thing. It might be even when you reach college that your professors or your teachers are even making fun of you and taunting you for the faith that you confess and that you follow. Is following Jesus a loss? And for those who work, there may be jobs you have to miss out on because you're not willing to lie your way into them. Or there may be promotions that you have to miss out on because the cutthroat corporate world and following Jesus just don't mix. And on top of all of that, there's everything that the world throws so blatantly into our face that it says that's fun and enjoying and it's pleasure. Do it and you'll be happy. All these things the world calls good, but God calls sin. For those who follow Jesus, we have to give them up. And we don't get to enjoy them. Is following Jesus a loss? Leave it to the Apostle Peter to ask the question that it was on everybody else's minds. After the rich young ruler walks away sad, and after Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the, the eye of a needle than for someone who has a lot of stuff to enter the kingdom of God, Peter goes, Jesus, are we good? Are we okay? Is our relationship with you all right? We've given up everything to follow you. And they had. They'd given up family and friends and jobs and homes. And they'd followed this guy and trusted that he wasn't taking them for a ride, that he really was who he said he was. If you were to look at this scene from a distance and see the rich young ruler and the disciples, you'd think that the rich young ruler was a lot better off. He had the money, he had the clothes, he had the status. But that was all he had. That was all he would ever have. But the disciples, who seemed to have nothing, now they were richer than the rich young ruler would ever be. Because the one they were following made incredible promises to them. That not only would they have salvation guaranteed, but being a follower in G of Jesus not only gave them blessings in the life to come, but blessings on earth, blessings here and now. And Jesus makes the same promise to you. As followers of Jesus, as those who have given up what the world has had to offer, He promises you not only to bless you in the life to come, but also give you blessings right now, many times more than what you have given up. It's an amazing promise. But it's incredibly hard to believe when the world seems to be crashing down around you. When your relationships aren't going the way you'd hope they'd be going, as you're barely able to make ends meet, as you're barely scraping by, it is incredibly difficult to believe that promise. And that's why God calls you today to a radical faith, just like he called the rich young ruler, to trust him that he can provide not only for your spiritual needs, but also for your physical needs. All of them. He calls to you to trust him that he knows what's best. 
You may have an idea of the way you want the future to go. You may have things you want or things you think you need. And if you get them, know that God is the one who gave them to you. He said, yes, you do need these things. But if things don't go your way, and they don't go the way you expected them to, and you don't get what you were hoping for, don't see that as God saying no to you. See that as God saying, I have something better for you. I know what the future holds, so trust me. I not only promise you salvation, I promise you blessings, blessings beyond imagination, because Jesus is not a loss. Jesus is gain. So if you're having a good day, Jesus knows. And if you're having a bad day, Jesus knows. If you got everything you've ever asked for, Jesus knows. And if you're barely able to make ends meet, Jesus knows. If you're weighed down with sin and guilt, Jesus knows. If you're worried, if wondering to yourself, am I even a Christian? Jesus knows. He calls to you and says, follow me. Trust me. I promise you salvation. And I promise you gifts beyond imagination. And Jesus has never made a promise that he won't keep. Amen.